0: Happy, happy, happy. This is Tall Can Audio. Off we go. One more, I guess we'll call it a bonus episode of the Tall Can Audio podcast before we close the door to the studio and go do the uh, the Christmas thing. What's going on, everybody? Matt Robinson along with you here today. Uh, coming to you from that studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. Thanks for checking this one out. I, I I just I had a couple of last little things on my mind that have been kicking around, and I haven't had a chance to to get them to get them out yet. And and by the time I'm back in here, you know, we'll be into World Juniors, the holidays will be in the rear view, all these sorts of things. I'm probably not gonna get another chance to get to them. So we figured let's fire up the mic one more time before Christmas, just get something out the door and and just talk about a couple of things, right? Uh, I should say that, yeah, I, I'm going to be closing the studio door behind me here for a few days. But that doesn't mean there won't be new stuff coming on the podcast. Rob and I have pre-recorded a uh, a Christmas Eve edition, as we always do. So uh, we look forward to to sharing that one with you. And we'll drop one or two little things throughout the holidays as well. But uh, a lot of that will be pre-recorded or coming to you from uh, from the family cottage. So, um, you know, looking forward to to getting through this. And then shutting the door and heading off to to do some family stuff. I hope you're going to have a lot of the same type of experience here, spending Christmas with friends and family, uh, or New Year's, whatever it is you celebrate this time of year. Uh, hope it's fantastic for all of you. Um, a couple things, though, like I said, that that I just wanted to cover here a little bit today. And it's it's a morning recording, and it's just me, so I'm passing on the beer this time. There will probably be. A couple of those throughout the holidays, so I'll make up for it later. But uh, yeah, not one here today. That is the one thing we always get to do each year as well is finish out the craft beer advent calendar on the Christmas Eve show and just kind of give some final thoughts on it. And and so uh, we look forward to to sharing that with you and and that'll be uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, we sit here today having just witnessed another pretty devastating loss for the Ottawa Senators and an absolute shit-kicking of the Toronto Maple Leafs by the Buffalo Sabres. I want to touch briefly on both. I'm going to start with the Leafs this time. We've talked a lot of sends this week on the podcast, right? I get to talk a little bit of Leafs. I think that's only fair. And when you get kicked around like they did on Thursday night, people tend to freak out a little bit. And I think that's fair. They didn't look good but we also have to remember that just 3 days ago we were talking about this team being 10-1 and 4 in their last 15 games. Now early in that stretch, you'll recall, I was still arguing with Lee Versage that this team isn't isn't performing as good as their results are making it look, right? They were getting into overtime and and winning a lot of shootout games, 3-on-3 games, and he was pushing back on that narrative and that's fine, but this has been for that reason, a little bit of a roller coaster. They they were banking all these points, but early on, I didn't think they were playing particularly well. Now, as that 10-1-4 stretch rolled on, I did think they started to get it together a bit and, and stabilize some things and, and look a little bit better. And then this game comes, blows up in your face against Buffalo, and suddenly you're back to, oh, sh- well, what are these guys, right? Like, are they any good or not? And so... I don't think we know the answer to that yet. We certainly know they weren't very good on Thursday. Um, also, lost to uh, I guess it was the Rangers on on Tuesday, but that was hardly uh, a beatdown. Quite like it, it, when someone puts up nine on you, like it it shakes you a little bit, right? It makes you wonder where you're at. But ultimately, it is just one game. The big concern is that Ilya Samsonov gets pulled again after giving up five again. And that isn't just one game. That's sort of been his year. There's been a moment here or there where he's come back and looked like he was sort of finding it. I think back to that Nashville game a couple Saturdays ago. Uh, I believe that's the one where he got himself a shutout and, and really kind of stabilized things. Uh, but he hasn't been any good. It was interesting. I saw uh, Steve Dangle tweet out on, uh, on Thursday night that uh, essentially, you know, I'm butchering the, the wording a little bit. But basically, I did not foresee the goalie who out Andre Vasilevsky last spring in the playoffs suddenly losing his job to Martin Jones uh, upcoming this year, right? Like, that was not in the cards. That's not what we thought. Now, lots of people, myself included, weren't sold that Ilya Samsonov was, like, good to go, lock him up long-term, legit number one, going to be fine. But I didn't see this. The, the storybook on him coming out of Washington was always that it could be a little bit up and down, right? There was a little bit of a roller coaster. And it wasn't really like that last season in Toronto. Um, when Matt Murray went down, Samsonov took the net. And it's not to say he was stellar every night, but he didn't have these huge peaks and valleys. Like any goalie, he had some games that were better than others, some that were worse than others. But it, it didn't seem to be... Um, as pronounced as it was in Washington, and so there was some talk over the summer before they went to arbitration with him that maybe you should just lock him up long term, not not like super long, not a, a Hellebuck deal or a Vasilevsky deal, but give him three, four years. He's he showed you what he is last year, and the 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 willpower to not do that, to go no, I need I need to see more, and I need to see it for longer. Has turned out, with the benefit of hindsight, to be incredibly wise, right? To be incredibly important. To have had that willpower to say no, not yet, because this guy right now is basically unplayable. Now, could he get out of it? Sure, goalies go up and down. We we see that um, that happened in Washington. But this idea that we were starting to build last year—that maybe he'd matured, right? Maybe he'd sort of found something himself or with the coaching staff in Toronto, whatever it might be, that he was sort of leveling off and stabilizing, that's out the window now. This hasn't been a case of being up and down. This has been down, down, down all year, and he just looks devastated. Like, body language is a big part of this. When that fifth goal goes in off his glove and you're just, he's skating to the bench and he immediately goes to the hallway to get away from the cameras, like, everything about it was brutal to watch. And... Sometimes that's harder to overcome, right? The the confidence in yourself. And it puts the Leafs in a weird spot here because it's not like Martin Jones was much better in that game on Thursday. Now, with him, you sort of know what he is. He's been around for a long time, but it's been a long time since since he was good, right? There's a reason you were able to get him as your third stringer to start down in the minors this year. And he's had a couple of pretty decent performances for the Leafs so far, But he came in cold. The Leafs weren't playing in front of him. So I don't want to pin all of this on him, but he didn't look terrific either. And he was never going to be a guy that you were going to be super pumped about having to go to every night as your number one. Ilya Samsonov's confidence and game is just completely off a cliff and Joseph Wall is out injured and this is a tough injury for goalies that high ankle sprain it's a tough injury for any hockey player because you're trying to skate but that lateral movement that the goalies are making that's tough to come back from off this so he's been injury prone I don't know how confident you are that when he gets back he'll be as good as he had been um, and how long he'll stay healthy again so the Leafs are in a bit of a pickle here I wouldn't uh, and you can't do anything right now. I was going to say I wouldn't jump to any conclusions and make an emergency trade here looking for a goalie or whatever. You can't right now anyway. You're in the, the roster freeze, right, that kicks in on on whatever it is, December 20th, and, and goes through the holidays so that people aren't getting traded and shipped around during the holidays. That's fine. Uh, but you do have another game here on Saturday against Columbus. And I assume you're going back to to Martin Jones. But, yeah, I, I, I'm uncomfortable right now with the way the goaltending is going. And so... Um, there's talk about Dennis Hildeby, who's this young kid. I think he's 22. Um, this is his first year in North America. He's down playing for the Marlies and he's playing really well, but I think it's a bit of a panic move, um, to let him have whatever it is, 12, 13 games of experience in North America. And suddenly you're starting on hockey night in Canada on Saturday, uh, for the Leafs. I think that's a lot to ask of him. Uh, but I just, I don't know what else you do. You're sort of boxed in here. I think you hope to hell Martin Jones can give you a decent performance. You hope everybody plays way better in front of him on Saturday. And you can get out uh, with having had a bit of a reprieve, right? Kind of wiping that nine goal game against what, <laughs> Thursday against Buffalo off the, the memory. But this is this is tough. I, I was sitting there while I was watching that game on Thursday. And it it was sort of... I don't know, bringing up some some memories for me. And back around 2009, 2010, 2011, um, my dad had a, a chunk of of season tickets that he would buy from from a friend, and I was the one who got to go most of the time. And I remember going with a buddy of mine on, I think, December 23rd. I do know for sure it was against Dallas. And you could tell from the moment the puck dropped in that game, the Leafs had already checked out. Um, now that wasn't a very good Leafs team to begin with, but they gave up seven or eight or nine in that game as well. On December 23rd, you could tell they were already on vacation. They had already were looking at flights. How am I getting home? When's the family arriving? All these sorts of things. Meanwhile, Dallas had come in. It's still a business trip for them, right? I'm here. I might as well play hard where if you're the team at home, you're just sort of like, You know, whatever. It's just the last thing I have to do. You're probably going through some of you this this week anyway. On the Friday afternoon, you're getting ready for probably a week off of work, maybe two for some of you, and you are just coasting, right? You didn't do shit on that last day. Um, Maybe there was a little holiday Christmas party. Maybe you were just sort of mentally checked out already, whatever it might have been you probably weren't giving it your best effort on the Friday afternoon before the Christmas break. Well, that's what that game was for those Maple Leafs, and they got absolutely torched against Dallas. And I remember sitting there going, it's so hard to get to these games, right? It's not easy to get tickets. I, Like I said, I was lucky I had someone in my life that could hook me up a couple times a year. But even then, it wasn't like super common, like you were there for every game or anything like that. And I just remember thinking, like, if this was that one game, it was the start of the Christmas holidays and you brought your kids to whatever, spent a bunch of money to come and see the Leafs. And this is the one time your family's going to get to do it over the course of a couple years. How pissed you'd be that you got blown out like that by the stars. And so that's what was running through my mind as people were just groaning sitting around us in the in the arena that night back in whatever it was, 2010. Um, people were booing. People were upset. People were sad, right, that this is how it had gone. Um, Like I said, the fans probably more than the team because, you know, you just you don't get to do it that often. And so that's sort of what was all going through my head last night. Now, this was a road game in Buffalo, so not a home game. It's close to home and, and you have a lot of Leaf fans there. But that's what that looked like to me is that the Leafs had already checked out. And they were thinking about the holiday season. And that's a problem because this time it wasn't their last game before Christmas. You have another one on Saturday. And if you get kicked around by the Columbus Blue Jackets on your last game before Christmas on Hockey Night in Canada, that's going to be bad. They have to find a way to mentally check back in one more night. You got to finish the job here before you get to go you know, disappear for Christmas or, or whatever you're doing. So that's what was going through my mind watching that on uh, on Thursday night. Uh, I just wanted to hit a quick note here, uh, and we'll get to the sends in a second. On the PWHL, uh, got a tip there from a, a buddy of mine because I had retweeted something. You guys know I'm a bit of a, a bit of a nerd for the sports media as much as I am for for sports. And so I had retweeted somebody who was talking about the broadcast rights for the PWHL, which kicks off on January 1st, uh, Toronto, New York. We had seen CBC announce that they were going to carry that game. Uh, I believe they were going to stream it. I'm not sure if it'll be on the main network. And then Sportsnet has now put out there that they're going to carry that game, I believe, on Sportsnet 1. I'm not sure this year. I haven't bothered to look what their commitments are to the Winter Classic, because sometimes Gary likes to get that off of January 1st, away from the, the bowl games and things like that. Uh, so then maybe that turns out to be January 2nd. I didn't look this year, um, but that might be why it's on Sportsnet 1 instead of the main Sportsnet network is because they're carrying the, the Winter Classic, but it's going to be there as well. And I retweeted uh, that much of uh, f- of somebody else. And I got a tip from a, a friend of mine who, who I know in the media business who said Both Sportsnet and TSN are still very in on trying to gather up more games. And he was able to tell me and confirm right away that also the January 5th game, which is Toronto, New York, again, um, will for sure be on Sportsnet. CBC is streaming at least 11 games online, probably more. uh, But for now, they have locked into 11. And Sportsnet and TSN are, I don't want to overstate it but battling over rights like networks do, right? And it's going to be an interesting draw here. So we don't have the details yet on where most of these games are going to be, but I would say if you were getting worried that you hadn't heard anything yet and maybe that meant there wasn't going to be a TV deal, that's not the sense I'm getting. It's just divvying up how this is going to work, who's going to get what. And so you will be able to watch, uh, it sounds like, a lot of these games, if not all, um, once the season gets up and running. But this is going to be in a bit of a a push and pull here between the league itself, who again I'm told, is going to produce the games themselves and and then let the the networks pick up the feed. So when you watch the Leafs or the Sens now, TSN, let's say, has that game. So they they you know, they run the cameras and the the crew and the broadcast uh broadcasters, all that stuff, and, you know, they pay for the right to do that and they use their people. This sounds more like the PWHL will produce the game, their cameras, um, maybe their staff or maybe each network will use their own staff, but it will be the feed will be produced by the league. And then those uh, networks will pay to pick up the feed similar to the Olympics, right? When you uh, the Olympics has a master broadcast, the IOC produces the broadcast themselves, their camera people, their uh, whatever, and they send you a clean feed. And then for us here in Canada, CBC picks it up adds their broadcaster, puts their little logos or their scoreboards or stuff up on it. But that's going to be the way this works early on for the PWHL. So it would be beneficial for the PWHL to get as many people watching this in as many places as possible. That makes good sense. You're trying to build a league here. You're trying to build a reputation. You're trying to get people excited. So for the first game, like I said, it sounds like it's going to be on all of CBC, TSN and Sportsnet on day one. But the networks don't like that very much. They don't like sharing games. What's the benefit of having it if it doesn't help your advertisers, right? If I pay to 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 have that game on Sportsnet, I know in theory, like every Blue Jays game, it's only on Sportsnet in Canada. If you want to watch the Blue Jays, it has to be on Sportsnet. And they get to go and say that to their advertisers and the people who produce commercials for their network. All the Blue Jays fans in Canada will be watching here. Here's where you're going to reach them. Well, I can't say that for game one of the PWHL season because it's going to be on TSN and on CBC. And so for me, whatever network I was on last or whatever one I turned to by default is probably the one where I'll go watch it. There's no demand that I have to go to this channel. So that's going to be a tough sell over the long term. I think you live with it for the first game of the season because you just want it all out there. But TSN and Sportsnet are still kicking this around with the league going, we want some exclusivity here, right? Like, I want to be the only channel that these games are going to be on, at least on those nights. Like, uh, they probably don't even like the CBC stream working hand-in-hand with this because if I'm going to pay you, I want you forcing people to come watch it here on TSN. Whereas the league, I'm sure in their mind, right now while we're trying to get it out as far as we possibly can to as many people as possible we want it on as many channels as possible right it's just it's a slightly different perspective for them now if someone steps up and offers them a pile of money more than the other guy then yeah you just go with it you take it you're trying to grow the league financially that'll be that would be great but if the money's all pretty similar then they're going to be pushing these networks to be on multiple networks. And and that's that's just a tougher sell. So I'm not sure how that's going to play out. But I am sure that's why this is taking so long. Is trying to decide how much is going to be exclusive. How much can go to multiple networks. And just how this is all going to play out. Because the networks like I said. They don't want to blow their brains out financially. But they don't want their biggest rival. Showing the same game that they're showing at the same time. And giving you a choice as to where to watch. They want it exclusive for themselves. So that's going to be interesting for me to watch play out here a little bit. Uh just over the next couple of days, we are actually just over a week from the season starting. So it's uh the, like I said it sounds like those first couple of games have been sorted out, but the long term hasn't quite been uh, been finished yet. So we'll we'll be seeing an announcement on that really fast. Uh the Sens, man, I I'm running out of things to say about the Ottawa Senators, so I'll just hit on this quickly. And the thing for me is they're not even getting, like, the Ottawa Senators, you know you're having a bad year when you can't even get the dead cat bounce. You know, the new coach bump, as they call it. Everybody kind of flies straight again, like, okay, if we had quit on the old guy, or if we weren't working hard enough, or whatever, I got to impress the new boss. So I'm going to do every. And we've seen it across the league and other places. We've seen... Edmonton, turn it around. We've seen Minnesota get a little bit of a bump after they did it. You know, it's just one of those things that's hard to explain and it doesn't always last, but it it almost always happens and it hasn't happened for Ottawa. Their first two games under Jacques Martin, they had uh, leads, blew those leads in the third period and lost um, in regulation. Uh, Don and Farhaven had a great observation or a great tweet there on on Thursday night after the Ottawa loss in Colorado that said the the Senators have dropped four in a row at, in, in, in which they had leads in every game and didn't manage to even get a loser point out of any of them. Like, okay, you blew the lead, but at least you got to overtime and got something. No, like they are blowing these leads clean in regulation and getting nothing. A couple people disagreeing with me on, on Thursday night, and that's fine. Um, on Corpusalo saying that maybe we're being too hard on him for Thursday's game. Like, there's no doubt he's been up and down this season, but that maybe Thursday in particular wasn't all on him. And it certainly wasn't all on him. And to be honest, early in that game, he was holding the minute. Colorado came out flying. Ottawa didn't have their going Blame it on the altitude or, or whatever of being in Denver. I, I don't know. But as the game went on, he just, he's not giving you that, that, timely save that you need sometimes. And I. this was sort of the debate that I was having online with a couple of different fans on Thursday. And that is that sometimes goaltending is just unfair. The job is unreasonable. I need you sometimes to make a save you have no business making. And that sounds counterintuitive, but that's what great goalies do. Maybe I give up three or four or whatever it is, but I make that one at that moment that stops the game from getting away from us and he has failed to do that again and look Forsberg hasn't been any better and you start to wonder what is you know Yunus Korpusalo his career is not stellar he doesn't have a long track record of success and and the compa- uh, the comparison that i made with when Steve Lloyd was on the show here um was that that Columbus number right he was terrible in Columbus. He had brutal numbers. They trade him to Los Angeles who's actually a good team and he looks pretty good. They're playing better defense in front of him and he's able to do his job behind that system. So I'm sure Ottawa looked at that and said we're going to be a good team. We're going to be much better than we've been. We're getting ready to turn the page and, and you know take that next step. He'll be fine here. But they haven't. And He only played like 15 games in L.A. That is a a really, really small sample size to be pinning your hopes on for the next five years is the contract they gave him. I said it on the day they signed it. I know a lot of people did. Rob and I argued about it, though. I said, that is a laughable contract. Maybe you give that guy two, maybe three years. You went to five? What have you seen that ever told you this is a consistently good contract? number one goalie that can carry you to the next level or not even carry you i'm not trying to pin all that on just be the guy when you're trying to contend for for playoff series and and ch- you know championships in theory did you bet all of that on 15 games in LA man i maybe the final fuck you from pierre dorian i i maybe it's not even the final he made a lot of mistakes <laughs> I can't remember in which order they all happened. Just a terrible contract. And he's just not given them anything in those big moments. When you need sometimes that guy to just go, no, I'm getting to that. No, I'll make that stop. No, I can do in that moment to turn the tide, stop the momentum, stop the the snowball rolling downhill against you and just squeak out that win. You got to steal a game sometimes and it's unfair it's unreasonable that's the job so i don't know the sens lost four in a row now like i said having had leads in all of them not even getting to overtime in any of them brutal just brutal so they need to get they need a game on saturday they got to perform well as well like they they can't go out on this break leaving their fan base this pissed off they're going to both the ontario teams here have major uh I don't know. Ma- <laughs> major work to do on Saturday to 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 send their fans off with a Merry Christmas. Uh, speaking of cranky fan bases, Toronto Blue Jays have missed out on another star. This one being uh, a pitcher just coming over from Japan by the name of Yoshinobu Yamamoto. It's a bit of a mouthful. Please take it easy on me if I if I botch that a time or two as we talk about this. Look, I never really thought. The Jays were in on this. Now, we we kept hearing that they were in the mix, but I think what that really meant was financially they were prepared to do this. The Mets were in on this guy. The Yankees were in on this guy. The Dodgers were in on this guy. By the sounds of it, it was the Giants as well. And so there was a lot of teams in the mix and a lot of very well-off teams, and I think Toronto was prepared to do it. But that he was never going to be, you know, super pumped about it. By all accounts, he wanted to play on a big stage. So you are looking at the Mets, the Yankees, and the Dodgers most likely, and of course, he ends up with the Dodgers. Twelve years, three hundred twenty-five million dollars. So, <laughs> um, that is the most money that's ever been committed to a pitcher. And it was just committed to a pitcher who has never thrown a pitch in Major League Baseball. That's how in-demand this guy was. I don't know if people think they're getting the next Otani or, you know, just in the sense of not the two-way part, but just we don't know. We have seen guys who were great in Japan come over and have fine careers, but not be the same star that they that they were in Japan. We've also seen – we've seen but like Daisuke Masazaka, to me, when I think of that guy – Um, you know, I, very good, but never the star that, you know, you would really want long-term as your ace, at least not to that level. Right. Some people would disagree with me on that and that's fine. But, um, but you Darvish came over, turned himself into a star pretty quickly. Right. So there's different ways of looking at this, but none of those guys set the record for most money ever given to a pitcher before you'd gotten a chance to see a couple of, of major league hitters get a look at him. So this is a bit of a risk. Now, the Dodgers can afford it, uh, if anybody can, but it, it's, there's no guarantee that he is... Uh, actually, I kind of like... His contract is worth $1 million more um, in terms of guaranteed money than Garrett Cole. Who was previously the highest-paid pitcher in baseball, and so there was clearly a mental thing there that was like, uh, "No, I, I'm that's I actually want to be the guy, right? I need to get just over this number." Uh, the Yankees, by all accounts, offered him three hundred million, and it, like I said, it's three twenty-five from the Dodgers plus a fifty million dollars signing bonus. Uh, it's it's a spicy meatball. And that now puts the Dodgers, if you can believe it, they have spent $1.1 billion this offseason, between the $700 million they gave Otani, uh, $325 million now for Yamamoto, and uh, Tyler Glasnow from uh, the Rays, they they brought him over in a trade and gave him uh, over $100 million in a contract as well. That's on top of the Freddie Freeman money. That's on top of the Mookie Betts money this is absolutely wild but just this off season they have committed 1.1 billion um into their roster and it's got people having the same old conversations about you know is baseball broken or um you know the rich versus the poor and and that's fine it's a it's a legitimate debate but are you sure even with all this that the Dodgers are better than the Braves right now in the national League I I'm not convinced they might be they might be but the Do- uh, the Braves are are very good. The Yankees are they even a top 3 team in the AL? A top 5 team in the AL? Like you're going to have to you're going to have to show me your work to get to that point, right? Like and so even the Jays like this isn't what the Jays needed. Now, you can always use a very good pitcher, right? But the Jays needs aren't in the rotation. The Jays have many needs, but it isn't in the rotation. But in theory, when there's no cap, you spend the money to get the best players you can, and then you could use a different player as a trade chip, right? I'm not suggesting they would trade Gosman or, or whatever, but, like, you could use one of your other rotation arms to trade to get you something else because it's not uh, a, a limited quantity, right? Like, in, in the NHL, you have this much cap space, and so if, if the Leafs need a D and a center, and they go now and get a goalie, that's finite space. You you now can't afford to get one of the other things you need, right? Um, and that was a bad example because the Leafs actually need a goalie. But in theory, that doesn't happen in baseball because it's just money. And if you're willing to spend it, there's no one who's going to put a lid on that and say you can't spend any more and not address something else. So you could bring this guy in, use one of your other pitchers to, to, to be in a trade. Um, and so that is sort of where people get upset because there very clearly are multiple classes here, right? If you're a fan of the Oakland athletics, I don't know what you're doing, but Kansas city or, you know, Tampa Bay, these other small market teams that can't spend to that level. It does create a challenge, but it's not like the richest teams in baseball are just out here ripping it up and winning the world series every year. So, it's not a perfect science, but it has reignited that debate. And I just, I, it's wild to me to watch a team spend $1.1 billion. I would be less impressed if it had been the Yankees, obviously, being here in the division. My theory has always been if the Jays aren't getting a free agent, I want him in the NL West. I want him in the other league and geographically far. That's just how I view these things. And so, um, yeah, Yoshi Yoshinobu Yamamoto is an L.A. Dodger um, capping off what's been a wild, uh, off season for that. And I shouldn't even say capping off who knows what else they, they might do, but Jay's still sitting here. Haven't done anything. Um, and it's got people just a little bit cranky. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to touch on, and I don't know, I sort of steered clear of this earlier in the week and there hasn't really been a guest in here who's big into the UFC or, or whatever, but it's just a personal thing over the last, I don't know, the last couple of weeks, and really it's it's longer than that but it it's just boiled over here on the weekend at UFC 296. I find myself being kind of grossed out by the sport. And I know that sounds obvious to some of you who don't buy into mixed martial arts and and you know, it it's got a reputation. I I understand. But it's never been as bad as its reputation has suggested, right? These are martial artists. There are rules, there are th- these guys most of the time do respect each other. It's legitimate sport, and it's just been going downhill with the way they're treating each other. It feels a lot more like wrestling in all the worst ways, because many of you know I, I still have a soft spot for for pro wrestling, but in all the most gross elements of it, have been starting to show here lately, and leading into UFC two ninety six, you had a guy like Colby Covington who kept, who brought up multiple times the father of Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards is a guy who was going to fight for the championship. And Leon Edwards' father was murdered when Leon was 13 years old. And Colby Covington thought that was something he should bring up while trying to hype the fight. You know, I'm going to drag you down to hell. Maybe we'll see your dad. Like, that shit's gross. And guys, look, in these press conferences, you talk shit. I'm going to kick your ass. And, you know, for a lot of guys... They understand the showbiz part of it. You're trying to sell fights, get people excited. Uh, You're trying to make yourself a star, get some attention, make some more money on merchandising, things like that, if you're crazy over the top. And some guys just find it really hard to fight somebody that they like. So you almost intentionally create animosity because I'm going to have to go in there and I know you're going to try and hurt me and I'm going to have to try and hurt you. And that's hard to do if we're buddy-buddy, right? Like... So you, some guy, sometimes you're artificially creating animosity between you so that it's easier to go and do what you have to do, but there's a way to do it, right? You you, you can talk about a lot of things, and yet we spent time talking about a, a guy's murdered father. Ian Carey was also in the news, uh, everybody bringing up his wife, and I don't want to get into the whole story there, but it, it's a bit of a, an interesting Setup isn't the right word, but uh, marital arrangement he's involved in. And fighters were were bringing that up. And then at the actual pay-per-view, Colby Covington, the same guy, and he's a crazy over-the-top Trumper. And look, I understand, despite my distaste for Donald Trump, that there are conservatives out there that that are good people and maybe not... Supporting Trump specifically, I, I I don't want this to be a whole thing. Politics on their own, supporting a guy politically that I don't like on its own is not enough for me to go, that's over the line. But the crazy um, radicalized bullshit he was spewing out on the microphones, basically just trying to get Trump's attention because he was there, um, was off-putting. They have now, for the second time in in two or three months, gone out of their way to introduce into the into the arena, Donald Trump and Kid Rock. Dana White walks out with them. They're playing American badass. And so you're again you're politicizing these sorts of things. So that was gross. I, I didn't care for that. And, and during uh, one of the breaks in between fights, Sean Strickland in the crowd actually jumps Jerkis Duplessis. Those guys are gonna fight in January uh, at UFC 297 in Toronto, but they were both in attendance, um, and seated weirdly close to each other. And We can get into that part in a second, but Sean Strickland is an idiot, and he this is premeditated. Because he has time to ask Gilbert Burns, who's another fighter if you're not an MMA fighter. Gilbert Burns' family was also sitting near them. He asks them to move, kind of gets them out of the way, and then jumps up on the chair and over top of it to try and fight Jerkis DuPlessis. Now this is what I'm talking about in it being WWE in all the worst ways. That is something that you would stage a backstage fight or or whatever to to build up your storyline. These guys are supposed to be martial artists with respect for their art, you know, respect for their sport, and most of them are. They take this very seriously, and while they're yelling at each other, they're not jumping each other in the crowd during an event. Now, Dana White, who runs the UFC, he knows which of these guys are going to be in attendance for the most part and, and helps arrange the VIP seating. Why did he have them sitting that close? That's entirely on him. They He knows they don't like each other. He knows that Sean Strickland is a hothead. And he knows that they're getting ready to fight in uh, in January. Why would you seat them that close together? Unless, I don't know if he thought they were going to And I'm not saying this is staged. But maybe you're hoping that they do kind of argue. And maybe even shove a little bit. I don't think he would have expected they'd be throwing punches at each other and stuff like that. But, maybe you're not necessarily afraid of of it stirring up a pile of shit on your broadcast in the middle of your fight that makes you look bush league. It looks so unprofessional. And this is going to be the test now, because there is footage. The UFC had a camera uh, just generally pointed in the area um, as part of the broadcast. And of course, when something like this happens, there are always people with iPhone you know, video that, that posted online. So there is video. So this is going to be the test now for the UFC. Do they condemn this? And, you know, Dana commented on it afterwards. And do they just let it die there? Or when they're trying to sell this pay-per-view in January, when they're trying to get you excited to see the fight, do they go down and do they use this footage from this gong show that should be an embarrassment to them, that this is how their fighters are behaving? And do they use it? To hype up the fight, put it in that package. Well, you you know the 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 lead up package, the the hype package. Are they the UFC themselves going to use that video? And that will be a big moment for me. Like that will be very telling as to where this organization is going and what they're trying to be right now. And if they want to use this low, uh, to me it's just low class to to sell fights. I don't know. To me, that's damaging. It it doesn't look good. It looks like you're profiting off of your guys being unable to control themselves. And and But that's the fight business, is what Dana tells you. There's a big part of me that thinks they will go ahead and use it. Hey, it happened. It exists. Might as well use it. Might as well try and make some money off of it. But you'd make a much stronger statement if you just said, no, that's garbage. We don't condone it. And... We're not using the footage. We're not releasing it. Because it, once you use it, you encourage other guys to do this. They're, they're looking to sell fights too, right? These fighters, part of what they get paid is based on how many people buy the pay-per-view. So, hey, if, if that helped drum up some attention for Sean Strickland versus Jerkus DuPlessis, then why shouldn't I jump somebody backstage? I got to make sure my buddy's filming it with his iPhone. I'll jump him outside of a fucking, <laughs> I don't even know, Cracker Barrel. Although we've seen that a little bit, um, Jorge Masvidal jumped Colby Covington. So uh, outside a restaurant somewhere, that was garbage as well. But at least it wasn't it wasn't filmed and and used to sell fights later. I I just all the stuff I saw over the last week or two made me look at this thing and go, I don't know. Am I still enjoying this? I do like the UFC. I like watching fights, but this company is headed in a weird direction lately. And I'm hoping that it was just a really bad week or two. We don't see this kind of stuff becoming the norm, but it is creeping in more and more. And having it capped off by somebody actually jumping another fighter in the crowd during an event and try and fight him there. It's just just shit. Anyway, got that off my chest. Thanks for hearing me out. (laughs) I think that's where we can start to wrap this up uh, like I said, I'm ready to blow this popsicle stand, but, uh, there will be an episode of the podcast on Christmas Eve. Uh, if you want to check that out, as I mentioned to Lloydie, some of the most fun, uh, feedback we get is, uh, is around Christmas. People saying that, you know, they're down in the basement, wrapping the last couple of presents and sipping on some eggnog and, and listening to the Christmas Eve edition of, of Talkie and audio where we're talking a little about our own Christmases, a little bit world juniors kicking off. It used to be a full blown world junior show is all we would talk about on Christmas Eve, but we sort of exhausted our uh, our anecdotes, our stories, our memories of, of the tournament, right? You, you, t- you tee it up a little bit. You try and preview it where you can, but neither Rob or I are huge junior hockey experts. We get into this and enjoy it, but hardly someone who could tell you, you know, who's playing for who out in Moose Jaw or whatever's going on. So it was as much about, hey, remember that time and all I was at that game for this and and stories like that. And so you do that show a couple of years and and you exhaust most of your, your world junior stories. So now we sort of, we've, we've trimmed it back just a little bit, still talk a little world juniors, but talk about, uh, about Christmas and and stuff like that. So I hope you'll check that out. That is where I will wrap this one up for today. This went a little bit longer than I expected, but like I said, just a couple of small things I wanted to talk about that. I figured we're probably going to go stale by the time I had the chance to do this again. So get them off your chest, get it out there into the universe, and carry on with uh, with Christmas from here. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget we're on social media at Talk Audio if you want to give us a follow there, or uh, make sure you are subscribed Spotify, Apple Podcast. If you want to give the show a Christmas gift, if that's something that that you're you're in the uh, in the Christmas spirit we'd love it if you'd leave a rating or a review for us on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And the big two are, are Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those make a big difference. They tell, obviously, those those apps that people are enjoying the show and they push you up in the ratings, make it easier for other people to find us as well. So that helps us out a great deal. It's not just vanity where we want to see more five-star reviews. It actually helps get you into the algorithm and, and bumped up a little bit. So we'd love it if you wanted to give the gift of a rating this uh, this holiday season. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you all on Christmas Eve. What was that? Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. Why are you so pissy?